God save us from ruts. Save us from hard hearts. Save us from assuming that we know the answers. Save us from stuffed up ears and clogged hearts. We ask that as, you, as we open your word, that you would speak to us clearly, that you would incline us to hear and see and know and become. Give us courage, give us wisdom, give us your spirit. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way or sense from your word, may they be passed over, immediately forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in the gospel of Mark. We're in chapter six this morning, starting at verse 30. Listen closely. This is God's word. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they went down in groups, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Jesus looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Big crowd. And the context of this passage is Jesus teaching his students, Rabbi Jesus, instructing his pupils, Jesus, shaping, molding his apprentices. That's the context. Mark calls them apostles here because in the preceding passage, Jesus had sent them out and now they had returned. The word apostle simply means one who is sent, sent one. Last Sunday, you remember, we jumped forward in Mark's gospel to chapter nine to look at Jesus' interaction with a man who had faith and who wanted to grow in his faith, which fit with where we were in listening to the statements of faith of members of our confirmation class last Sunday morning. But the Sunday before that, back in the earlier part of Mark chapter six, we read about Jesus for the first time sending out his disciples as mission workers. And in verse 30 then, they're returning. And you may remember that Mark inserted in between 
Jesus' disciples being sent out and Jesus' disciples returning, Mark's account of what had happened to John the Baptist, in other words, John the Baptist being beheaded by King Herod, as a way of illustrating for Jesus' disciples and future disciples, us, what might be involved in their being sent out and in their going out, the truth that they were going to proclaim and the consequences of doing so of the things they might encounter, the things they might experience, the things that might happen to them in mission, out in mission, when they go, when they are obedient, when they are sent, apostle. And so suffering. And now Jesus' disciples are back from their first little mission trip. They're back from being sent out. They're back from their adventures. They're back from their mission. And Jesus says, all right, guys, now let's get away. Let's retreat. Let's have some downtime. Let's debrief. You need rest. Their work had been constant, long days, long evenings, always on, never off, pouring themselves fully into the mission of God's kingdom. But the crowds now beat them to their desolate, desolate place, their quiet place. Jesus and his disciples take a slow cruise across the lake on a boat. The crowds are running on the shore and beat them to their restful retreat. And as Jesus went ashore, Mark tells us that Jesus saw the crowds and, quote, had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. The Greek word, our Greek word for the day, maybe one or one of two, is splagnizomai. Let's say that together splagnizomai, fun word. And it means, or it's translated here, to have compassion on. And it's a word that literally means to have one's innards or one's gut moved, turned, churned, stirred, because that's where the first century Jewish people thought the spirit and the heart resided. And so Mark says, as the gospels say nine times about Jesus, and describing his reaction to people. He was moved in his inner being, physically. He was stirred. He had pity. It moved him physically. He had compassion toward them. Now, too often when my plans, and maybe especially my plans for badly needed rest, when my plans are interrupted or infringed upon by people needing things, wanting things, expecting things, demanding things, then my reaction often is irritation. While Jesus' reaction is compassion. And Mark tells us that Jesus saw the crowds as sheep with shepherd, and sheep are some dumbest animals there are. Not a politically correct thing to say maybe if there are sheep here with us this morning. But sheep are some of the dumbest, least capable, unable to take care of themselves, unable to protect themselves, don't really know, only wander around and eat, and in their best moments, follow a shepherd animals. More than most animals, they need someone to watch over them. And that is what Jesus did by teaching them, Mark says, by teaching them, by teaching them truth and words of life and how to live and how life works and about abundance. And then all of a sudden, after Jesus teaches and teaches and teaches because he has so much to give and share, it's late. And Jesus' disciples did what they did elsewhere in the Gospels. They told Jesus 
Send the people away. Send them away. Send her away. Send him away. It's what they say multiple times in the Gospels to Jesus. You need a rest. We need a rest. This is our time. Send them away. And Jesus replies, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You guys figure out this dilemma. Send them away to get something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, Jesus could have called in a favor from his father, no? His father who had supplied three million people, more or less, up to, in the wilderness for 40 years, six days a week, and a double portion on the sixth, plenty of food, manna for every day. Jesus could have called in a favor. Feeding 5,000 men for dinner and a bunch of other maybe women and children, let's say 15,000 people. Not a problem for God. Not a problem for Jesus. Jesus could have called in a favor, but Jesus says, you give them something to eat. At least partly because Jesus is training his disciples He's teaching his disciples. He's empowering his disciples. And the way good training goes is teach, show, empower. Teach, demonstrate, and set free. Teach, model, and then let go. Teach them what needs to be done and how to do it. Then show them how to do that. Then set them free. Go do it. And apparently Jesus trusts his disciples. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Despite his disciples' lack of formal education or pedigrees or experience or wisdom or courage or overflowing gifts, Jesus sends them out as his ambassadors. All right, guys, put on your Jesus T-shirt. Go in my name. Do my work. Represent me. Go. It's you now. This is your first of many chances. Do it. Announce God's kingdom. Embody God's kingdom. Jesus trusted his disciples, and Jesus cared for the crowd. Get them what they need. And what eventually happened certainly was a miracle, though some Enlightenment people and post-Enlightenment people, many of whom we are, what eventually happened certainly was a miracle, though for many Enlightened-minded people, have understood that, that this miracle or what happened on the shore that day in different ways suggesting that maybe what happened in the end wasn't a conventional miracle, sort of a pure miracle, sort of a magic snap your fingers, God, heaven, supernatural miracle, but rather that the people in the crowd began to trust each other and that among them, with the food they each already had on them, there would be enough because they began to trust one another. And the people became generous with what they had and with what they had toward other people. And that certainly can be sort of a miracle, generosity, where there hadn't been any before. Or that people began to see their situation totally differently, including through the lens of the Almighty God who provides. And so that released what was already there. That that could be a miracle. And following Jesus' lead, they had mercy on one another. That, That could be a miracle. And everyone was fed. Mark says they were filled. The Greek word is cortazo. They were satisfied. 
Nobody was hungry. It wasn't like each person just got a french fry or a little short of piece or nibble. Everyone's full, satisfied. And regardless of whether or not one comes at this passage with an enlightenment mindset or takes it at face value, in other words, at its most fundamental meaning and significance, that this was a miracle and so well-known and corroborated that it's the only miracle of Jesus that all four gospel writers include. It's a miracle. It's Jesus' best-known, real, legit miracle. Regardless of how one reads and understands the multiplication of five loaves and two fish, though, what is undeniable is that in Jesus' presence and because of Jesus' presence there, thousands of people were fed with only five loaves and two fish. Thousands of people were fed when there had only been five loaves and two fish because of Jesus' presence in Jesus' presence. And at his direction, Jesus' disciples were instrumental in that feeding and even essential for such. And while Mark never calls Jesus the good shepherd, that's over in John's gospel, Mark certainly intends that his readers understand Jesus as such, writing in verse 39 that Jesus, quote, directed his disciples to have all the people sit down in groups on the, did you catch it? Green grass. What, like, is there another color of glass, grass? Even blue grass isn't really blue, right? It's green. All grass is green if it's living. Why green grass? Why insert that unusual, curious little comment? Green grass. Except that it echoes the so familiar to us in them, Psalm 23, which reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green grass. Green grass. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And certainly Mark intends foreshadowing also when in verse 41 he describes Jesus as taking the loaves, blessing the loaves, breaking the loaves, giving the loaves. Certainly Mark implies some foreshadowing in that when he puts in his narrative here Take, break, bless, give. Take, break, bless, give. And these things are not merely metaphorical or symbolic or sentimental or sacramental, but also highly practical. Jesus meets the basic needs of people for which we pray, for ourselves and for others. Give us this day our daily bread. And while our temptation is to leave this well-known story of Jesus on the felt board of Sunday school, to allow this to remain a children's Bible story, true, God in and through Jesus may be calling us to more, even subversively, as he sometimes does. After all, Jesus, again, is training his disciples, teaching his disciples, shaping his apprentices for ministry and for the day when they would again go out in his name, but this time, next time, one day, eventually, and often without him physically there to announce and to be vessels of his kingdom, you give them something to eat. You guys do it. And those words, Jesus' words, are frankly, in some ways, subversively a threat to us. Are they not? A threat to 
our wallets, to our accounts, to our savings, to our goals, to our plans. Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 200? So a denarius is about a day's wages, so this is about three-quarters of a year, two-thirds of a year's worth of wages, salary for a person, a pretty big sum of money. And this story infringes not only on our wallets, but this story infringes on our story about who in a society is responsible for feeding those who are hungry. How do the hungry among us get fed? Who is responsible for that? Some people look at others who are hungry and think, get a job. Take some responsibility. Feed yourself. And it's true that those who are able should take responsibility for that for which they can take responsibility with the skills, gifts, talents, resources, time that God has given to them. At the same time, Jesus looks at the hungry people as a good shepherd and with compassion and with instructions for his apprentices. You give them something to eat. Whose responsibility is it now? Or whose privilege and whose joy? Later in his gospel, Mark records Jesus saying, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We'll hear that when we get to chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For now, Mark portrays Jesus as a good shepherd who eventually will lay down his life for his sheep. For now, Mark alludes to Jesus giving of his own body, his own flesh, his own blood, taken, broken, blessed, given to the world. And now Jesus is training, teaching, showing, empowering his disciples to do what he is calling them to do with him, through him, and by him so that he is no longer, when he is no longer with them physically, they will still be prepared to do his work, the ministry that he has given to them, the ministry that he gave to the church, the ministry that he gives to us. You give them something to eat. from Oxfam. Today the world stands on the brink of unprecedented famines. About 30 million people are experiencing alarming hunger, severe levels of food insecurity and malnutrition in northeastern Nigeria, South Sudan, Christian country, Somalia, and Yemen. 10 million of them are facing emergency and famine conditions. Famine is already likely happening in parts of northern Nigeria, while Yemen and Somalia are on the brink. That's a month old. The number one driver of hunger on the planet is man-made conflict. Conflict tears families apart, forces entire communities from their homes, destroys infrastructure, and disrupts food production. It is a vicious force and one that pushed 88 million innocent civilians to the most extreme levels of hunger imaginable in the last year. The top 10 worst food crises in the world today are driven almost entirely by conflict. Yemen is heading toward the biggest famine in modern history, more than 16 million people, over half of the population. 
of that little country on the bottom of the Arabian Peninsula. Over half of the population waking up hungry every day. It's a devastating reminder of what conflict can do to a country. More than 2 million children are severely malnourished and 4,000 are at risk today, this morning, of dying without treatment. I am very comfortable with this image. I am very comfortable with that image. Very comfortable with that image from Sunday school, from the time I was a child, with pictures and posters like that around the church. I am less comfortable with these images. And so Jesus asks, how much do you have, disciples? What do you have and what can be done with it? These are hard questions. This story, this story infringes on our story about who, is, who in a society feeds those who are hungry. How do the hungry among us get fed? Who is responsible for that? I don't like it when God infringes on my story when I'm not prepared for it or it makes me uncomfortable. I'm not always prepared for a subversive or revolutionary Messiah, Son of God who grants power and then invites us to do things with it, who gives resources and then calls us to walk in his way. I was so pleased and delighted when the congregation this year gave like forty-five dollars or $47,000 for our Lenten offering for India. So delighted and humbled and glad and rejoicing. That was so much more than the congregation has ever raised or given during a Lenten offering, and for a wonderful and great cause. And there are still opportunities today to give to people and ministries in need in India through the Friends of India Network. There are ways to give through Christian organizations, reputable, reliable, good organizations who are feeding children in Yemen today. God does miracles, and miracles take all kinds of forms. I believe that. You believe that. What God is calling us to, let each of us discern. Let each of us wrestle with God's word, with the Sunday school pictures and with others, and hear the voice of God and the teacher Jesus, the Messiah Jesus, and discern what he would have us do, who he would have us love, where he would have us go, how he would have us be. You give them something to eat, and in doing so, maybe we not only partner with God and partner with Jesus, but also grow spiritually, which as Gladys outlined earlier this morning, is one of our values to cultivate spiritual growth continuously. And in doing so, we also get to love all people unconditionally, serve our neighbors generously, advance God's purpose globally 
and pour into the next generation intentionally. May we live into those values. May they not only be words, but may they guide and inspire us as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus who loved and loved and loved. Let's pray. God, give us each a few moments now in silence to listen to your voice, to pay attention to your word, and to hear you speak to each of us about what that means, what you would have us hear, what you would have us know, who you would have us become, how you would bring about your kingdom. And these moments of silence speak to us. And in faith, God, help us, as Jesus said, not only to be hearers of your word, but also doers of your word. Help us in that regard. We need all kinds of help. Pour out your grace. Help us to partner with you to follow your lead wherever you lead us, however you lead us, that we might be satisfied and that you might be glorified that your kingdom might cover the whole earth. Amen.